And what a beautiful morning here it is on 2XX, uh, your community radio station, and Fuzzy Logic. Now, I'm really pleased to invite our guest today, but I'm going to start with a question. So imagine that you are in the middle of Australia somewhere. There's no doctor handy. You don't have any bottles of pills. There's no hospital. There's nobody you can talk to, and you have maybe a case of dysentery or some nasty condition. Maybe your eyesight's giving you trouble, your hearing, or you have a rash. What are you going to do? Well, that's a question for those of us who live in... Uh, um, Western society, shall we say. We've got all those support services around us. Uh, but what if you were an Indigenous Australian and 60,000 or more years ago maybe, and even uh, 200 years ago, such people were not available. So what are you going to do about your health? Well, my guest today on Fuzzy Logic is Valerie Albrecht, a very interesting character and the author of quite a few books, the latest one being One Voice Medicine. Conversations with Traditional Healers. Hello, Valerie. Hello. Thank you. And uh, some of your other books include 30 Days, The Story Behind the Story. Actually, you've got some more. Do you want to quickly rattle off those? So The Story Behind the Story is a biography of a Navajo medicine man. And um, so that was four years of living and writing and learning with him in Arizona. And the way that that happened was from my first two books. Um, so I'll go into a little bit of me. Um, and so my background is in um, speech pathology, my first career. And um, just to um, the path to studying speech pathology is two years um, of medicine, because in speech pathology we have anatomy, physiology, neurology. And then you can choose to continue into medicine or choose an allied health um, or dentistry even, and I chose speech pathology. And then after a year of speech pathology, you can choose to um, select modules about audiology. Um, and all the while through that, it's a double major in psychology and speech pathology. So there's a lot involved in that. And so my, um, my career in that, um, it's very interesting and, uh, you know, wonderful to work with, with people and help them fulfill their communication potentials, it was also very frustrating for me because it's coming from a biomedical body-based way of looking at health. Um, and that led me to study a lot of Eastern health practices um, to try to understand more of how to work with people's health and well-being. So then I studied um, yoga teaching, um, massage, Reiki, hypnotherapy. Um, and so putting that Western and Eastern traditions of health together became my first two books, um, Search for Mother, Mother being used in the generic sense of that which nurtures which includes the health system. So it's searching for that by the ways that we look at health. So those books were published in America, which is what, why I was there and how I met Elroy for the story behind the storybook. Um, yeah, and so while I was there, 
with Aylroy, um, I started to think, I wonder what our Aboriginal people, uh, how they think about healing and traditional healing and that's what led me to uh, one voice medicine so you, you, you're really interested in everything i, I think but it, but primarily driven by people and so what i take from what you were just saying that medicine is not just about treating the body it's about treating the person and not and even the word treating is sort of a a power relationship perhaps that's true and, and yeah so we are each responsible for our own health and if we we are participants in our own healing and our own well-being would you agree with that absolutely absolutely and that's another thing traditionally although it may be moving i like to think it's moving and i have in recent years had experiences with my lovely gp that you know where he actually says to me what's your body telling you about this so I like to think that the thinking is changing and then I, I go to someone, another specialist, for example, a gastroenterologist a few years ago about something else and he wanted to do all these, um, keep me on track, I've gone a little bit off. No, because um, I want to talk, uh, I have a story about a gastroenterologist or whatever you call them in a yeah. moment, so keep going. So, um, so that was related to um, my liver and um, anyway I finally I was very very ill like bedridden ill and I finally um, got to him and he said well you know you've got this version of something going on in your liver and um, you know the blood tests aren't showing anything specific but symptomatically you've got this thing and so that's you a, need that's to a have that's a technical explanation right yes it was a technical diagnosis that he said and he said you need to have a liver biopsy and i said i don't think so that sounds like a lot of not fun <laughs> so i said i don't think so and um he said well he, i said to him give me four weeks and he said okay well if you want to be sick for another four weeks your choice and oh. I went home and I did diet and naturopathy and complete rest for four weeks and when I went back um, all my my liver function was completely normal and he looked at me and he actually put his hand up like this in a stop and he said don't tell me how you did that I don't want to know just go away and be well so Still get goosebumps. That's a, I, I, I'm, how did you feel about their reaction? Because you, I have to explain to our listener that uh, Valerie just put her hand up in a stop sign in front of me as she was saying that. And I don't want to know. What, what, why would he not want to know? Surely this should spark his, his I presume, his secu so, uh, curiosity. Yeah, that's what I started to, to say, that I would like to think that the thinking is broadening in the... in medicine traditional western medicine to be more inclusive and they certainly talk about it and have conferences about it and then when we go to to a practitioner do we experience that shift how often do we experience that shift in openness from our practitioners so i like to think it's happening but i don't know well i would have to say valerie that i've had pretty good experiences for the most part so i 
don't think you or either of us would want to say that that are all medical practitioners. No, not all at all. So there's a lot of really fine, good yeah. ones who do treat the person as an entity, you know, as yeah. a psychological being. So That's right. Yeah, and going yeah. back to your question, so when I started in that we the Western speech pathology and then explored Eastern and put them together, so that mind-body-spirit approach um, helped me a lot to feel uh, that I was able to offer more in my practice as a speech pathologist. Um, and then, so then working with Elroy in Navajo land and the um, traditional healers around Australia, I then learnt that um, for First Peoples, um, and also I spent a, a year in Guatemala, um, and I was doing relief aid work with a um, Ohio-based surgical team doing um, myofacial cleft palate repairs with villagers from and it was mostly from malnutrition so then I was had these learnings from North America Central America and around Australia and that was all um, on the circle of health was culture community, land, belonging, family, we need to, as well as mind, body, spirit, we need to, in, if we include all of those aspects of a person and give them listening and, um, let's say, space on the prescription, then we have more chance that's to help uh, them to full health. Well, uh, uh, Valerie, I, I don't normally talk about this, but my professional background after before I did media was in IT. Now, you might think, oh, computing, hard No, no, I Te can't funk write books without IT. Oh, okay. <laughs> Te technical, technical stuff, you know, that we deal with computers, bits and bytes yeah. and so on and so on. But the really important concept in building a computer solution to something is a systems approach. Now, a system is where everything is connected. All the parts have to work together, and if you don't do that, it won't work. And uh, in my experience building computer systems, systems don't fail for technical reasons. They fail because of people reasons. And either the people who were building it made mistakes or the people using it or there was a lack of understanding. People, systems, the, the technology doesn't fail. People fail or, or, or they don't understand. And that really has driven my thinking into the book, which we're not going to talk about, but... Uh, <laughs> I'll just mention briefly. Your book? Uh, yeah, sorry, I don't... Which I am enjoying, readers, uh, listeners. I am enjoying A Fragile Planet by Rod Taylor enormously. I recommend it. Oh, thank you, Valerie. You, you, <laughs> can, you can come on my show any time. <laughs> I, I was actually thinking of the other book, that, uh, The Path to a Sustainable Civilization. But it's got economics and resources and agriculture. But I, I don't want to bang on about that because it's not... Our show is not about that, but... What we do in that book is we bring all the facets of a sustainable civilization together. All of those things have to work, and that's what you twig with me when you say you've got to bring all the parts of a person's community, their spiritual being, their psychology, to, to make a person better. Yeah, and thank you so much for sharing that because I've just learned a wonderful, wonderful analogy and true story. Thank you about computers and systems.
Thank you. Now, Valerie, can I tell you a very quick story? Uh, <laughs> at the risk of dominating the interview, which is really bad practice on the radio. Oh, I should say uh, my, my guest today on Fuzzy Logic, who's very patiently listening to me, uh, Valerie Albrecht, whose latest book is One Voice Medicine. And I really highly recommend it. Actually, I'm going to hold it up in a moment. But uh, first, my story. But it taps into what you were saying a moment ago about going to the gastro specialist with your liver. I had severe chronic uh, gastric reflux, and it was absolutely driving me miserable. And I went to my GP, and I said, oh, and I went to the specialist, and they gave me these pills. They sound like something out of a nuclear reactor. They're called a proton pump inhibitor. Oh, right. Okay, they suppress acid secretion mm. in the stomach, hydrochloric acid, right? So the idea is you've got too much acid and then you get leakage to the valve and then you start burping and etc. Mm. So I was popping these things like lollies and my stomach acid was probably neutral, completely like completely gone mm. and it, they didn't fix my problem. So I went back and I went back and then I said to the GP, well, maybe it's my diet. And they said, well, look, I only know one dietitian, and they deal with weight loss. So, Valerie, maybe you can describe uh, in honest terms for our listener, how would you describe my physique? Oh, it's tall and not fit-looking. Um, not exactly scrawny, wiry scrawny, or scrawny. Is one word I've, I've heard. <laughs> oh, no, I'm, no, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> You're very polite. Okay. <laughs> but the short, the short, uh, the short version <laughs> is I don't need weight loss. Right? right. So I thought, well, my, I had a friend who was looking at diets, I think called the hay diet, and there's like so many diets. Yes. And I thought, I'll just try an experiment. What will happen if I stop eating meat? And guess what? That was like 15 years ago. And I haven't taken those cursed pills since. So, the, and I even started looking at things that uh, a thing called a wrap, a toupee rack, which, a wrap rather, which closes off the muscle at the top of the stomach. Uh, and I pardon my expression; it's called an incompetent sphincter. I've been called worse, but. Uh, and you have it in. No. No, that's that's a serious surgical that's what procedure. That's what I'm have it inserted surgery. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Sorry, that would be. Yes. Uh, and that's how desperate I was getting. Although I mm. even thought about such things. Well, uh, I fixed I fixed the problem myself. And traditional Western medicine use it in the very precise way. Yeah. So that's a, that's a great story, and it illustrates where I'm going next, or leads me to where I'm going next. So of course. There's mind, body, spirit. And of course, you know, as practitioners, we must study the body. We must study. And I'm not saying not anatomy, physiology, all of neurology, all has a place. Um, so um, we must, uh, uh, so there's mind, body, spirit. There's land, culture, community, belonging. So going back to the spirit part, like, what do we mean by that? So there's our spirit which is what you've just described and what I described with my gastroenterologist at least our spirit that voice that tells us 
to listen to our own bodies and we might call it intuition or we might call it that little voice or, you know, some people the universe or Holy Spirit, whatever, or God, whatever it is for you, that that way of getting that message, oh, I think I'll go to a naturopath or no, I'm not going to have a biopsy. However that message comes, we can say is our spirit speaking to us um, about wait, what's really good for you, it might be this. So that's one aspect of spirit. And, of course, there are the, the greater ones that I just mentioned as well. And the one that this book concerns is the spirit of the land healing. All right, I'd like to know more about that in a moment, but uh, uh, I'd just like to say to our listener, like, we are a science program. So you might think that science is something that's done in people wearing white lab coats, holding beakers and test tubes and, and glassware, or looking at big complicated equations. But that's a very, it's like your, what you're saying about just treating the body only. It's not about rejecting those things, but we are humans to who do science and people with motivations, with uh, foibles, with weaknesses, with motivations. And that really overlays everything that science does. Uh, and the, probably the motivation is, is one of the really key things, your sense of values, what really matters yeah. to you. Yeah, and what's coming to mind to ask you, Rod, is, because um, I can't think of any, but I know I've read of them, like in history, scientists who have done amazing things and discovered amazing things and not fully being able to explain them in a scientific way and have had then the experience of being, you know, a, what's the word, in the medicine, it's like written off or whatever, taken off the books, um, you know, and then it's like decades or longer after that the scientific community or someone else has found something similar and come back and said, oh, but this person way back then. So maybe you've got one person like that that's sprung to mind that discovered something that couldn't exactly be explained scientifically, but it, there it is. I think the world, the universe, the, the cosmos is a mysterious place and, and I do like that sense of mystery and the fact that we can't always explain everything, that not everything is mechanical, uh, you know, the old clockwork universe idea, was, it's, so, it's so depleted, it's, it's quite mm. sad really. All right, now let, let's talk a little bit more about your book. Can you hold it up so that we, we, we can see it because it, it is a beautiful production and uh, on the cover, is it looks like a, a salt lake, and it's very attractive, uh, Valerie. Is that a, where is this photo taken? That is, um, so when you're driving to Alice, which I'm Springs, which I'm doing tomorrow, <laughs> and you get to just north of Port Augusta, and you come to a T, and you turn right to go north. So that's, I think that's about 800 or 1,000 kilometres between that turn off and Alice. It's on that road. Ah, now you, you took this photo? I did. Uh, and how do you feel? I mean, we're talking feelings now, of course. <laughs> What's it like to stand on a salt lake like this? It is a salt lake, right? Yeah. <sighs> so, what is spirit voice of country? It's different for... You know, there's many names, as I suggested before, that we could refer to it, but it's when you're in 
when you go to a place, like at the launch, I suggested when you go camping, you feel something else around. And when we were at the launch on the hill there, it, it was such a beautiful feeling. What is that feeling that you have when you're in nature and you're open to, you just have this, this body response of something relaxing or just being more peaceful and standing in places like that because on, on the Salt Lake to get back to your question so there was nobody else there and um, it was so silent like but there was so much to hear like there was no things that we would normally hear, like cars and people and people's footsteps. There wasn't any of that. But then when you're on in that type of silence, you can hear even, you look down and there might be an ant and you imagine that sound of that, that ant's making. And so it really um, brings you into a feeling and a, thinking of just this is beauty this is just pure beauty i i i, I can see you you found that a difficult question but you put it beautifully valerie and, and i know i know what you mean and, and i've stood i walked out onto the uh, lake Frome, which is another very large salt lake and words really fail that's right and um thank you for uh, acknowledging that I answered it beautifully. Um, you and I being writers, you know, we, I mean, I feel very humbled by my gift to write books and still to find words sometimes to express some things, and you've probably had the same experience. Like sometimes you just sit for days wondering that's not the right word for that experience, you know. Yes, words only only take you so far, and science only takes you so far. And I've stood in a gibber desert as well, and with the the red rocks everywhere, just stretching from one horizon yeah. to the next. Yeah. So if you want to talk a little bit about writing, so what do we as writers do when we come to that space of I'm trying to express this, but these words that I am writing are not enough. Like, so would you like me to talk yeah, about what yes. I do in that space? Yeah, well, how did you do it maybe in particular with this book, with your, with your one voice, um, one, one voice medicine? So there are a few strategies that I've developed and learned. Um, one is called writing through the senses. So we are more used to writing through visually, what we hear, perhaps, um, but we have more senses. So we could write about standing on that salt lake by what it smells like, what it feels like on our feet if we walk barefoot or touch it with our hand and also what it tastes. And that's something that I learned from Elroy in Arizona. It's one of their, uh, like, 
like an acknowledgement um, to country when you go somewhere you actually taste the sand of that particular desert so and and the tactile sense and then the kinesthetic sense so here I am and I'm going to walk on this so how does the air here feel against my body so so I've developed that technique um, of writing through the senses when I can't, when the words that I'm just writing don't aren't enough. Well, when you uh, are writing something that you want people to actually enjoy and connect with, you are vicariously, the, or the reader is vicariously experiencing what you experienced. Yes. So by by putting in all your senses and so on, that you they. That they can experience it as if they were in the place that you were at that time, as much as is possible, just through straight words. So well, also when you when I do that, it's not about sentences. So you'll find just a line of words sometimes in there where I'm describing something. So because it's like. You're experiencing it, and you're experiencing red, or you're experiencing crunchy. It's a feeling, it just sense, a stream of sensations. A stream almost. of words. Yeah, okay. That's not in sentences. What were you uh, aiming to achieve with this book? What was your goal? Okay, that's a really good question. Um, so I've explained that my question... Um, started working with Elroy about, I wonder what our Aboriginal people do about traditional healing. And, sorry, we should just remind us that he, you said he's a Navajo? He's a Navajo um, Native American. medicine man, yeah. Native American, and he's a was born a paraplegic. So he grew up between two systems of medicine, the traditional Western in America with therapy and all of that. And at and he was the chosen medicine person for his tribe. So then he'd come home from a week of rehabilitation and be sitting with his teachers learning that. So I don't want to get off the track. Um, so the question started there when I was learning with him and met him and he asked me to write his story. And then the question, what do our Aboriginal people um how do they do this? And so when I came back from that four years in, um, it was near Monument Valley, um, I deliberately started to take health contracts in remote Aboriginal communities to learn. Um, and one of my contracts was with a university, which I'll just say a university. And the, the position was... Um, facilitating um, medical, nursing, allied health, students' placements in remote communities. And they were students from universities all around Australia would come. It was based in the, in the Midwest at first, which is around Joelton, and then further north it was based in Karatha. Um, and so I realised that to do that job, I needed to learn what, to, to tell the students. So then when I was with these on these communities and setting up the placements, I sought out community accepted elders and healers and um, 
I asked them, and of course I had the credibility to be there because of my job with the university, and then I also had, they could see that I wanted to learn this for my job. And so I started to ask, what do we need to know when an Aboriginal person comes into our clinic? And then they told me, and we you know, sit here and we talk about this and that, and then I started to think, oh, so I'm, if I'm going to pass this on, how do you want me to pass this on? Will I just speak of it and you'll be like, I met this person in this community and it's just like that sort of teaching? And they said, and a couple of them, three, said very specifically, no, we want you to write it down. We want you to write it and teach your students. And that's how the book started. Oh, okay, that's a great story. Now... Uh, something really strikes me about what you've just said, but I'm going to play a track first just to give our listener and, and yourself, uh, Valerie Albrecht, uh, a little breather. <laughs> okay. Uh, and uh, I think this is quite appropriate for our, uh, our show here on Fuzzy Logic 2XX. And I'm on the road uh, to find out. I'm not going to try and sing that in tune because uh, <laughs> it, it just isn't going to work here on Fuzzy Logic, uh, uh, Fuzzy Singing. Look, our guest here today is uh, Valerie Albrecht, uh, an author of numerous books, uh, including her most recent One Voice Medicine, Conversations with First People Healers in Australia. Now, uh, that was a really appropriate song. I think that just sheer luck, of course, that I played there. I'm on the road to find out. Uh, Very good. Uh, what's his name again? Cat Stevens. And, and it's particularly appropriate, Valerie, because something that really struck me about what you were saying before I played that song, and that is you kept asking people questions. How do I do this? How do I do that? Now, that's a sense of humility, and I'm a firm believer in the power of the question. The question is really such a, a critical tool and, in fact, when I was interviewed on Behind the Lines a couple of days ago, I made some reference to cookers. Right, people who are anti-voice, anti-this, anti-that, right? And Zena, who was one of our interviewers, said, oh, yes, but you've got to be really careful with labels because as soon as you do that, you put people in the other category. And, and I thought that was a really good observation. And, in fact, when I passed a bunch of these people, they, they camped around near Scrivener Dam, and I actually toyed with the idea of going to talk to them and asking them a few questions about why they think what they think and understanding what they think, but a lot of effort, and I had to get somewhere, so I didn't do it. But uh, mm. anyway, the question, Valerie. <laughs> uh, right now, your book, you, you were telling me about why you wrote this book and your journey from meeting the Navajo gentleman, paraplegic, to Australia and up to your uh, up in Carafa area, and they were telling you the stories. So, do you want to pick that pick up on that? Yeah. So, well, it leads us a little bit into the craft of biography. Um, so, writing stories with people that they want you to write about their life or what they think, your loose definition of biography with their uh, permission, with their blessing. So, oh, sorry to interrupt. A word that really screams at me, not screams at me, jumps out at me as you're saying that, is the word trust. 
Exactly. And so... Um, So this question to start, even if it's I'm here doing this work and I'd love you to talk to me about your thoughts on it, do you mind, would you like to, even if it's that type of question. Um, the thing that I found in, that, in this work, which is mostly with First Peoples, but um, you might want to share how these people in your 10 fragile people on the planet are not First People. But um, So you might ask them the question, but that doesn't lead you anywhere for a while because it is about trust, very definitely. And so... Um, so... You start a relationship, and with First Peoples, it involves just hanging out with them, being in their community, um, turning up for their things that are happening in their community, showing that you really want to know how they live and what's important to them and what they do. It's That's building the trust. Is that, and that's about sharing values? You're an acceptance, at least, of but you're of not living. actually. While that I found, while that trust is being built, you're not talking about the answer to your question. Yeah. <laughs> that comes, you know, after the trust is built, and they decide, okay, this this person, I'm, I can, I want to talk to this person. But what I mean by values is by spending time with people, you get a sense of what is important to them. That's right. True. Uh, they, your work of biography starts by that observation. And they can see that what they have is of value to you. Yes, because you're um, showing respect for their culture and the way they think and do things and putting the time into that, to learning about that and, um, yeah, and listening. That's the thing, is just listening and watching so key to building relationship. And it's so different to how we think in the West building relationship we talk well, okay so now the, of the things they were telling you uh, is there anything that really stands out if you were to pick one or two things that, that really struck you from what you learned from these people what would that be so there's a map in there I employed a map maker because of to uh, um, of where the conversations took place I've called them conversation journeys and so it covers Western New South Wales, around Alice, the central um, desert in from the Midwest to east, back east, and the Pilbara. So all of the people from the healers from the, that area, those areas, I think there's about 12 in there. So then I put it together. There's a page in there called Healers Summing Up, which has now become a poster. No, the map is more towards the beginning. Um, and so you might have noticed the poster on the book table at the launch. So on the page coming up, if you keep flicking, um, is Healers Summing Up, which is at the end of the conversation, um, before I go into academically speaking, which you might want to pick my brain about also. And so Healers Summing Up, you said, so what is a few things that they said that sticks in my mind? 
about heal about first peoples what they think about healing so we've got being on the land um take us out talk to us outside on our land do your consultation outside and um that's all of them said that because healing is medicine is everywhere on the land in the wind on the plants watching an animal walking by like if you Anyway, that's another story. When you're driving and you see an emu, like you can think, what's that? A first, an Aboriginal person would say, well, that emu's got a message for me while I'm driving. I better watch out for something. For example, so that's medicine, keeping you safe, keeping you well. So it's um, a very big definition of medicine that includes all those things, as well as taking stuff, as well as going to your GP. Um, so. That's one thing that they all said. So to deliver, deliver medicine through the systems that most of us know, you go to a clinic, you sit on a, in a waiting room, you wait for the specialist to see you, they, you have a conversation, good or otherwise, and then you finish. It's sort of a very mechanical... Uh, yeah, and so to how to... So another thing that healers summing up is have our doctors and they do call them doctors they say we have our medicine papers our own medicine papers we were taught taught and it's teaching from the land and the plants and so another thing that they all said was have our doctors in your hospitals and um there there are many places in australia that do that some wonderful places. Um, the Alice Springs Hospital. So you might have heard the word Nunkari, which is um, a, an Arente, mostly Arente term for traditional Aboriginal healers. Um, so they go on the ward rounds with the GPs, for example, when, with seeing Aboriginal people. Um, uh, another... Um, example uh, that came to me from my very precious cousin who's a nurse who works in the same sort of sectors as me and she was working around the um, Thursday Island and what are the Melville and up there Tiwi? No. Yeah and um, so Mm. she would have people come to her clinic with all sorts of things from a skin thing to a heartbeat out of order. And first thing they would say after she did the basic readings, the person would say to her, now we go to my doctor. And so she'd drive them in the ambulance to the traditional healer in the village and wait while they spoke. And then they'd come back to the clinic and she'd get on with her readings and things. Oh, so it's a blend of both things. It's not so, about rejecting Western medicine. It's absolutely a blend. Yeah. But I can imagine that it's, uh, well, we used the word trust earlier. I think that's really central to this. Yeah. So now I, I, I can't claim knowledge of this, so I've got to be cautious. But I'm imagining if I was an Indigenous person, say, living in Alice Springs and my experience with... Uh, white people, sorry, I can't, can't think of a better term, and have a health condition of some sort, that a, a hospital could be a threatening place. Very much so. And I'm suddenly I'm going into the middle of your power institution. Oh, yeah, no, I'm struggling with the right words. It's a reasonable yeah. word to use. Okay, thank you. And so by having a cultural connection that I, I feel more comfortable 
going to this place because there's one of my people, one a person who understands mm. me uh, in this place, and it's less alien. Yeah. So another point in Healers Summing Up, which, as I said, has become a poster and actually has already gone to clinic room walls, not only in health but in justice as well, um, in juvenile justice. Another thing on there is have someone who speaks language. Always take a family member. So in our culture, if we take a family member or a trusted friend in, it's like, Oh, this person must be very anxious, or something like it's a it's an unusual thing it's for almost, someone to do. Could be even threatening, perhaps, to the practitioner. Yeah, it's an unusual thing, but they are trying to tell us this is this is better for us to take someone okay, to have so our family there. Now, for all the medical professionals, people who are listening to us, all the traditional Western medicine, and I, and I hate the labels, but anyway, we, mm. we can't do better. We'll go with that. What would you say to them? How would you, what would you recommend? If there's one message that you want people to take away from your book, you've got the elevator executive briefing. What would that be? Um, I want to say openness, openness. When people, and it's not only peop, Aboriginal people, this book so beautifully and unexpectedly has found a place with people who work with people from other cultures. So it's openness and so it's finding out what's important from that person, for that person from their culture as far as their health goes. And so you and I, uh, when we meet, we might set out to make a connection with, oh, do you have grandchildren, for example? And so this book, what the healers are saying is, find the connection through culture. Ask us about our culture. Well, if we were to take that from a purely practical point of view, tell me if you agree, but uh, just say we've got the purely technical health evaluation and I write, I'm a doctor, I write you a prescription, and then so many patients go away with that prescription and they don't follow the advice, they don't do whatever it is the practitioner mm. said, Maybe they don't uh, cut their meat consumption or whatever, mm. don't exercise more, eat fatty foods, etc. And would you agree that by understanding the person's motivations about their settings that you're going to get much better compliance? Yes. For, again, for want I of a would. better word. I would say so. Because if you approach getting to know them from what matters to them, their culture, their family, you know, where they live, all of those things, not just I'm going to take your blood pressure and look inside your ear and here's a prescription, you know, like then, well, imagine if that approach was you had an experience of that approach. You might feel this person is really trying to get to know me and what matters to me and what might I be feeling anxious about or feeling is impacting on my health situation right now. And so then when you get to the point of the consult where the, the practitioner starts to um, recommend things, you may be more open to it because you feel listened to from where you're coming from. That, that's a really important takeaway message, I think, would you say, from our conversation today? Yeah, and it's not, and there was a very good question you might remember at the launch about how this might apply in metropolitan situations. Someone asked that, and it's everywhere, and it's all cultures, wherever people have a connection to a culture. 
wherever they might live at the time. They have a connection to a piece of land where they were born or that they love to go to, where if they're seeing you in the middle of Canberra. So it, it's relevant in, in metropolitan settings as well as regional and, you know, far away. Um, and also... Um, you can go and sit outside. Medical centres have gardens, increasingly so. Yes, all right. Let's just take a, a quick uh, music break here on Fuzzy Logic. <laughs> Fascinating conversation with uh, our guest today, Valerie Albrecht, uh, author of One Voice Medicine, Conversations with First Peoples Healers Australia. Yeah. Who was that just singing? Cat <laughs> uh, Stevens. Uh, uh, this is Rod in search of a plot on Fuzzy Logic Two Double X. Your science on a Sunday, and uh, our guest today is Valerie Albrecht. We're talking about indigenous medicine and how we could learn from other cultures in applying not just to medicine but science in general. Now, Valerie, uh, just take this scenario. It could be a bit challenging, but I <laughs> say I'm a traditional uh, Western, I run a, a medical clinic, someone comes in and then they go into the traditional healer. I I've messed up with the words traditional. It's okay. Indigenous healer in the room next door. And they say, that healer says something that I think is actually technically wrong, possibly either ineffective or maybe even a bit uh, unsafe. What, what do we do in that situation? Well, we are um, in this situation, I'm assuming, which might not be a good thing to do. I actually don't like making assumptions about anything. But let's just say the Western practitioner set out to have an open-hearted conversation with the Aboriginal person. In other words, asking, listening to concerns not only of the body, but of the culture, of the family, of, you know, the capacity of the community to support this person in their health crisis. Let's just say that that was part of the consultation. So that Western practitioner has that knowledge, right? And so then that person, he's going to suggest something as you've suggested, and then the person's going to talk to their traditional person, who um, doctor who might talk about, a medicine plant or um, do some hands-on something um, I think and you... then he, that person goes back to the Western practitioner. I'm just guessing what the traditional person might suggest. It's, and a, then bit, they go, it's a bit hypothetical really, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and they might go back and um, to the Western doctor and so that Western doctor might, well, yeah, it's, it's a tricky question to address. So it still comes down to the trust and the openness. So that Western doctor then has a couple of options. He could, um, in the spirit of openness and keeping the relationship and wanting to optimize this person's health, even if he thinks that something might be unsafe that's been suggested by someone else, he might, it's, I would say as a practitioner, but I still, it's still important to keep this relationship with this person for their health. So I might say, okay, so here's this and there's that. So 
you need to listen to your body perhaps you need to come back to what's feeling good for you what's feeling right so that's trusting your spirit the spirit of you and I, I'm, we think that the need to listen goes in both directions absolutely so okay uh, listening, I think, is probably a really good theme and trust for our conversation today. We're almost out of time, Valerie. And, uh, there's mm. a lot more that we could be talking about. Uh, any final quick thoughts before we wrap? Um, I mean, I just, at the moment, I feel so overwhelmed with happiness about what's happened with this book. Um, so it's nine years of work, and in the course of that um, being working for more than one university, I thought this book needs to be a PhD, and I did half a PhD with it, and it was just not the right forum for it. So now it's this beautiful book. And so there's a section in there called Academically Speaking where I've spoken about um, Indigenous research methodology. So I feel, to sum up, I just feel so overwhelmed with gratitude it's a it's a wonderful feeling and, yeah. and well done now if our listener wants to get a copy they could look you up on the internets uh, oceans of energy i think the oceans of energy.com yep. is my website and um you can buy books you have to contact me and i'll we do the postage thing. Um, and also on my calendar, there's a number of other book events concerning this book coming up around the ACT and in New South Wales. Okay. Well, uh, very quickly, where's the, when's the next one off the cuff? Um, 8th of October, just outside um, Canberra yep. in a, on, a, on land, on yep. country. Um, then there's one at the Hierophant in Griffith coming up. And there's another bookstore in Braidwood, New South Wales, where one's coming up. Okay, so basically, uh, our listen, look up Oceans of On Energy. The dot yeah, that's right. Dot com. Mm. Uh, the Oceans of Energy. Dot yeah, com. Dot com. All right, that's great. Thank you. Thank very, you so much for listening. Fascinating conversation there. In about 15 seconds, I've got left. We we have a column in the Canberra Times and Oz Community Newspapers. And today's question, I asked myself, I must confess. How much diesel does an aircraft carrier burn? And short answer is a lot. And of course, though we have nuclear powered diesels, uh, nuclear powered uh, nuclear power aircraft mm. carriers as well. Uh, yeah. So, isn't it, how many seconds have we got now? Ten. Ten. So I just want to bring it back to science too, Rod. So I wrapped up by saying we can um, trust ourselves, listen to our body, listen to our spirit. It's the same in science. 